And I think that the people who think of partnership first are the ones that tend to be the lifers. You know, they're going to be the guys that are like 80 years old sitting in the coffee shop with their old climbing buddies, like talking about the good old days. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Today is a rewind back to an episode that first aired in 2017. And we chose this episode to air today because in January of 2015, seven years ago this week, I, along with countless others, including many non-climbers, was glued to a saga happening on the side of El Cap. Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen were battling it out on what will become the world's hardest big wall free route, the Dawn Wall. And it was being streamed live. We watched as they topped out on January 14th after a tension-filled week in which Tommy showed the world in real time one of the most important things about climbing, partnership. Now, if you aren't watching or don't know the story, I'll break it down for you a little. Seven years of visualizing the line and working out the individual pitches, 32 of them up to 14D, had culminated in a 19-day push on the wall. And all was going smoothly, with both climbers sending the first Crux 14D pitch at about a week into the push. But on the very next pitch, Tommy sends and Kevin doesn't and he wrecks his skin in the process. The razor-sharp crimps on this pitch would wreak havoc on Kevin for the next eight days, thwarting his efforts over and over again. And during rest days for Kevin, Tommy climbed a few of the easier pitches above, but ultimately decided to hang back and wait for his partner, putting his own chance to send in jeopardy. Now imagine that. I've gotten frustrated when I don't get to try my project one extra time in a day because my partner was moving slow. And I get to try it the next weekend. I bet you felt a similar impatience. Tommy had invested seven years in this route. The top was nearly a sure thing for him. Weather was coming in and he decided to wait and support Kevin. So now, seven years later, almost to the date that Tommy and Kevin topped out the Don Wall together, we're going to rewind to this conversation about belief and partnership with one of the best all-around climbers on the planet, Tommy Caldwell. You just said something really interesting that about your writing, that you're self-conscious when you write. Yeah. And... When I read the book, I was pretty blown away at how open it was and how honest it was. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I really, really appreciate that because I think as climbers, we, we oftentimes try to be too tough. We don't want to show our weaknesses. We don't want to be, you know, open with our mistakes. And, and you were hugely in the book. And, and I've recommended it to a lot of people just saying, this is one of the best pieces of climbing literature that I've seen in a long time. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool that you thought that and you felt that about the book. That's probably the biggest feedback I got. People are shocked at how yeah, open and honest and vulnerable it is. Yeah. Um, mostly people admire that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always the so. people out there, though, that are going to be like trying to cut you down. So I've, I've, I haven't gotten too much of that, though. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I think I I looked at that in terms of the 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 writing that I admire the most is like that. For me, writing the book was much more than just like telling my story. It was about 
reliving my experiences and and understanding them more myself it was really cathartic and so you kind of cool. have to go as deep as possible to to have that happen yeah it feels it like, like that like, too it feels like you're digging into the experience while you're writing it yeah you know? no writing it. i mean i got totally obsessed with writing it because i was like man i'm i'm like i'm connecting the dots in my life in ways that i just never have before because i've just always been on trips and i've never allowed myself to do that and i think that's really important i think it helped me grow a lot yeah. Um, and then, but then also there was like, there's sections of it that I would be writing and be like, oh, I don't know if I'd ever want people to read this, but then I would just like force myself to turn that off. Yeah. And I've been through a few experiences in my life that made me okay with that. Sure. With like, just like, I mean, specifically when I went to Kyrgyzstan, when I had this crazy thing in Kyrgyzstan, when I, you know, right. that's, that's a big part of the book. There was this climber that just like was was convinced that we had made the whole thing up. Yeah, yeah. And which uh, he went insane. on this like six month escapade to try and prove that we were wrong. So not only I, I came back from a very traumatizing trip, now there's somebody like half the world believed that we had just made this thing up. And so at that point, I was just like, you can't worry about whatever think what what other people think. Right. You know, you just have totally. to be true to yourself. And that's you know I always thought about that when I was writing the book. And yeah. I, I had good mentors um, that always pushed me in that direction. You know, Jim Krakauer gave me a lot of editorial feedback as well. Mm-hmm. And he's great in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, as well as Kelly. Cool. Well, there are two two threads that kind of run throughout the whole book. And when I was watching the Don Wall, and and to be honest, I'm I'm not somebody who likes to watch climbing. I think climbing is incredibly boring to watch. You yeah. know, I love it. I love <laughs> doing it. Way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's my whole life, but I hate watching it. But when the live feed was up of the Don Wall my friends and I were all texting each other like, are you watching this? You have to watch this, you know? And I was glued to the fucking screen watching it. Yeah. And the th- the threads that I think run through all of that are belief and partnership. And I want to start with the belief part. And you talked about in the book that you spent all this time digging a hole to China when you were a kid. Yeah. You know, tell me a little bit about that for the people who haven't read the book yet. Yeah, so I think I start out the book, chapter one, in fact, yeah. starts with me digging a hole, yeah, trying to dig a hole to China when I was four years old. Yeah. And through decomposing granite, so I have the shovel and I'm just like chipping right. away. Hacking and away I just, at I, it. I, I mean, I thought that this story was just such a great way to illustrate kind of like what I was naturally born with. <clears> I just had this, this like capacity to stick with something really hard. And, yeah. You know, a way that seemed kind of crazy to a lot of people. And I'm still mm-hmm. like that. And... <clears throat> You know, I, I think that what it is, and it's taken me a long time to figure out this out, is less that a belief that I'm going to get there. Because um, I'd never, you know, I'd never really knew if I would get to China, you know. Right. And, it's, and it's more of a love of just being out there, you know. Right, right. Like when I was a kid, I loved the satisfaction of like digging all the time. I didn't, I mean, I don't, I mean, maybe there was a time when I was a four-year-old, I was like, I'm going to dig to China. That's what got me started. But then I just right, realized right. that <laughs> I just loved being out there. It was like this meditative thing and it got me out of the house and I was outside and I was working hard and um, I've just always really loved that. And that was the Don Wall too. Like if I was so focused on success, I think I would have given up years ago. Yeah, totally. It was more like when I would when I would give up because I gave up on several occasions and then I would see what my life was like without this focus of working towards this thing. I didn't like it as much as when I had that focus. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Do you think that's something innate that you were just born with? I mean, that's how you phrased it. Or do you uh, think it's something you picked up I think from it's your a, parents? I think it's or? a combination of things. I think I was innately born with that. I was a pretty socially like shy kid and so right. i think the digging the whole thing was you know my parents had a day at home daycare thing it got me away from that oh and god so yeah 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 it's like i always needed that me time that was your space <laughs> that was my space and i still need that still want that um so that's something that's built into me um but i think what happened is i would get maniacally focused on things from a really young age and then sometimes that would lead to success. Like sometimes I would never get there. I never made it to China, right? But sometimes I would would find success. And I think that becomes kind of addicting. Like I realized that if you work really hard for stuff, it can happen. Yeah, totally. And once that happens over, you know, a few times, you start to want that more. (laughs) Yeah. Were there ever moments that you remember digging that hole to China where you were like, fuck it, I'm never getting to China. You know, this is I never going to work. I was so young. <laughs> I was so young back then that I can't. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think my ideas, like at first I was going to going to go to China and then I was just decided that that was too, too, too hard. So I was just going to dig this big underground fort 
multiple rooms. <laughs> nice. That seemed uh, really easy. Yeah, that seemed like that was going to be easier. Um, and then eventually I ended up giving up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you had bigger yeah. things to do. Maybe not bigger things. You had yeah. realistic things to do. Yeah. So something about the Dom wall that I think is a lot of people miss that's important is just the belief that the thing existed as a free climb to begin with. You know, a lot of climbers understand climbing and they understand it in terms of difficulty and that the Don wall was incredibly difficult, but they don't necessarily understand because they haven't been around it long enough or they haven't developed or they've not seen what Yosemite actually looks like and what those walls can be. But understanding that you can free climb up that wall is something totally different than looking at an obvious line like a crack or connecting features or something like that. So I think there's a huge amount of belief that goes into just wrapping down that wall and looking for holds. And you spent a lot of time doing this, right? Yeah. Yeah. This started out um, because I I spent 15 years climbing on El Cap previous to, right. to starting the Dawn Wall. Yep. And so I climbed all those crack lines. And mm-hmm. you know, first I did the really obvious ones. Then I did ones that were slightly less obvious. I did all the established <laughs> routes. And then I did my own routes. And then I eventually got to a point where I was like, I know more about this wall than anybody, probably. Yep. Um, probably. Free climbing. Yep. And I think I was slightly led in this direction by a good friend of mine, Jim Collins, who was actually one of my mentors on this book. He's a, he's a, he's a funny person to talk about in climbing circles because he, he writes books for, for yeah, business. business, yeah. <laughs> he's brilliant. And so he, it's like he's this very passionate guy. A lot of people kind of roll their eyes when you talk about like the flywheel and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the hedgehog concept and all these things that he's come up that apply with, right. apply to, um, to business. Yeah. But he's a good friend of mine and he gets so psyched to talking about this stuff. And he, when I spend time with him, it like these things knit themselves together. And I think part of like, I went and started looking at the Don wall, uh, before I really knew Jim that well. But then I got to know him and he, you know, we'd go climbing together and he would talk about these things and, um, you know, like the flywheel, like I've been doing all these routes on El Cap and I've gotten better and better and better and, you know, trying to connect these dots. And I was like, man, if there's one thing in life that I can be the best in the world at, which is this big thing, it would be El Cap climbing. That's the only thing that I'm good at really. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and the chance to do that, you know, appealed to me. Um, I think, you know, most athletes have this. Uh, you know they're they're attracted to the idea of excellence. I guess. Yeah. yeah and so for that sure. was the one place that I could maybe you know find it or get closer to it. Yeah. How much time do you think you spent just wrapping off the top, looking for holds, trying to figure out if it was going to even be possible? <sighs> you know, there was you know maybe twenty days over a year, something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's th- that was what it took to get a vague idea of where the route might go. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> Like to right. do the moves and be like, I think this is where it goes here. But really throughout the seven-year process, there was tons of times where we'd, I'd get to a section that I thought was too hard and then I'd start looking for more alternatives. And even even one week before the final go where we sent it, I found new variations. Right. And so, I mean, it, it's, it's a massive puzzle. Like the difference between what's free climbable and what's not on vertical granite is, you know, like these tiny, tiny edges Right. Um, like you could look at it hanging. You, you, you could hang on a rope and look at it and have no idea whether it would go or not. You actually had to sit there and fiddle with the moves. Yep. Try to but, find your balance yeah, and see if it works. Yeah, try to find your balance to figure out if it was possible. And so, yeah, there's there's seven years of that. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, I hear all the time from clients, from other trainers, other climbers that even spending 20 days on on a project that's already been bolted, the holds are chalked up and you know where everything goes is crazy. You know, spending 20 days just to determine if you think it might be possible. I mean, that seems huge to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I wonder. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. No, I've never, I haven't really dug into this even in the book that much, like why I wanted to do that. Um... Yeah, I mean, my so my so Kevin Jorgensen, my climbing partner for the John Wall, he yep. like he thought I was a bit nutty in this way, but he kept coming back for whatever reason. But he was like, "Dude, you're so optimistic." Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's optimism. I don't know what it is, but we we would be up there, and you know, ice would be falling down around us. The climb would be wet, and I'd always be wanting to be up there, still working on it. And I think it was more than anything, like what I said before, just a love of 
like the process, the mechanics of it, mm-hmm. the meditation behind climbing, the 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 aspect of being an explorer. Like we were we were yeah. sort of like doing something on our cap that nobody had done before, and that's yep. that's freaking cool for me. Like I'm a fan yeah. of like Ernest Shackleton, <clears throat> like these 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 Arctic explorers, and yep. this was my realm where I could do something kind of similar to that. Yeah, and I think that's. I mean, I think you just hit on it. Like all those explorers had this belief that they were going out there to reach something. Yeah. They're going there to see something important. They're, you know, that their journey, whatever it is, they loved that journey and they believed in it. Yeah. You and, know? and you, and I think there's boldness attached to that too. For like sure. You're, you're going to fail over and over again. You might yep. never succeed. Yep. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. I'm glad you just defined boldness that way because boldness doesn't have to be just climbing 40 feet above a shitty piece that might blow if you fall. You know, boldness can just be putting yourself in the line of failure. Yeah. You know, and it's different for everybody. Yeah, I actually find boldness in terms of like life-risking things. Like I come relatively natural to that. Right. So therefore I don't admire it as much as like personal boldness. Like, like doing something that you might fail on. Like another main character in this book is Alex Arnold and he's you know, the boldest guy in the world, probably in terms of doing things that might kill him. Right, right. But he's never going to try anything, at least he hasn't yet, that he might fail on. He right, only does right. things he absolutely knows he's going to succeed on. Right. And so, in that way, he's like a bit of a pussy, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Another, another guy that, you know, Ulder came and repeated the Don Wall. Yeah. And you were really gracious in that and... And I loved seeing those posts. How much do you think knowing where the route went, being able to see videos, being able to talk to you and Kevin, how much of the difficulty do you think that removes? Not to take anything away from Adam at all, because we all know he's a ridiculously incredible climber but yeah i mean this goes back to that belief thing whenever anything in sports gets done for the first time it tends to get repeated pretty quickly yep um and that's just that whole like believing that can be done like if it's been done you just know that so that's the that's the major hurdle in my mind but having said that the fact that adam came as a very inexperienced trad climber sure sure really climbed big walls at all and managed to crank the thing off in a month was unbelievable so what he did was absolutely extraordinary yeah, but he didn't have to. Um, you know, he just knew it could be done, and we had lo- lo- logistics worked out, um, which took. I mean, we were coming up with logistical changes, you know, right up to the bitter end. Right, that right. Really helped. Yeah, and I think you just hit on what it is. You know, sports. You know, the four minute mile. Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile, and pretty quickly after other people were doing it. Yeah. You know, but the four minute mile is something anybody could go try. Yeah. You know, not everybody was going to get anywhere close to it, but but there were a lot of people pushing toward the four minute mile at the same time. There were a lot of people saying it was impossible. Yeah. The Dom wall wasn't something that everybody could just go up and try. Right. You know, it took, it took a lot of years of climbing on El Cap. It took... 20-ish days of swinging around on a rope trying to find little razor blades that you can stand on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's something inherently different about that type of athletic achievement, and I think the exploration part is so key in it. So I think that's such a... I mean, it's it's a frontier, really. You know, going up there and figuring out this path. So yeah, the people that are the most dedicated, I think, are super curious. You know, they just want to they they really want to answer those questions of like, what are they capable of? What can you do in the sport or whatever it is? I mean, we we're we're talking about climbing as a sport, but I mean, it could be a science or it could you know whatever. Right. Um. But yeah, I think I'm like always super curious about that. And the Donwall too is was this attempt to uh, kind of figure out like these, these, I mean, I think in, originally I thought it would maybe push me to this place of like understanding my limits in terms of endurance, which it didn't actually do that in the end because it's just so darn hard that we had to climb really slow. Right. Um, but when I go into bigger mountains, it's, I have found that that's an, that's a venue. Cause also in Kyrgyzstan, I 
we're we're pushed to this to to this like breaking point and past right like we we're forced to this place where we where we had to come to this understanding that we're capable of way more than we than we thought we could have without being forced in that position so i've always been really curious about that and so i always picked these big climbs or these big objectives to kind of try and get me back there yeah you were hoping the dawn wall would take you to that place yeah and it didn't in that way yeah Uh, it was more i mean it did in terms of like just sticking it out for a long for a long time but it didn't like in terms of the endurance aspect and sort of like do you think there'll have to be that fear or danger element involved to get to that place again the no. same place you were in no i don't think so i think it's just a, i think uh, as i'm thinking more about it it's more it's just a it's just a mega endurance thing like ultra runners are curious about this gotcha you know? people who go on expeditions and go you know people who do these multi-day things without sleeping or eating right. i think it's the same it's more it's more that kind of curiosity yeah yeah and you guys had it I mean, as cush as you can have it up there, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, we got to a point where, like, the individual moves on the Don Wall were so hard that we had to make the rest of the environment yeah. as conducive yep. to being able to do those moves as possible. Yeah, you need so. good food, you need good sleep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were in our in our sleeping bags, like, 16 hours a day or something. <laughs> <laughs> eating, yeah, eating salmon and avocados <laughs> and sounds having, like sounds like the ideal thing to do yeah, having food delivered to us every five days it was it was incredibly cush <laughs> that's perfect yeah you mentioned a couple times that that you were changing things right up until the last minute and i know one of those things was you had tried and tried and tried to do the dino pitch yeah and had hurt yourself on it and had hurt yourself training for it. And and then you came up with this somewhat ridiculous solution yeah. that, again, goes right back to that belief thing. Like, when you're on this big wall with all these blank sections and you finally find a way across, it would be really easy to say, this is the only way. You know, I have to do this. Yeah. But you went you went back eventually to there has to be another way. You know, I spent all this time, I found one way, but there still has to be another. And then you found it. You know, what was your mindset like when you finally decided to look for that loop pitch? Um, I mean, we went through this process over and over again where we'd get to sections and we would decide that they were too hard and then we'd look for alternatives and then we'd come and then sometimes we wouldn't find them, so we'd go back and try and work out that section. Right, right. And, then, and that section, the dyno, was probably the the place where that happened the most. Um, yep. I found the dyno pretty early on. In that first 20 days of exploration, I found it. Yep. And I was like, I think this is the way. But then I kept like not being able to do it. I would train for it. Um, I, re- I measured out all the distances and rebuilt it at my house in Colorado yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I trained there. Yeah. And then I'd come back and I could never do it. And you ended up um, tearing your labrum training yeah, on labrum. your shed for it, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but then, so there's a bunch of times where I just like, I can't do this. So we try different variations, but this variation that I ended up finding was just kind of absurd. Like I never heard of a pitch like that in climbing. So yeah. it just hadn't occurred to me yeah ex- <laughs> until it absolutely had to <laughs> explain that pitch i i understand what it looks like after having you know i heard your description of it on calusa's podcast and yeah and then i've read about it and looked at it and it's super interesting and and even though it's a little bit absurd i think that requires even more creativity and belief to figure out that that's how it's going to work yeah you know? because you could be like that's stupid. I'm not doing that. You know. So explain yeah, I mean, how that pitch stupid, works. But all climbing is kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. I mean, so for climbers, for climbers, it seems pretty absurd because the previous pitch ends at the. You know, we tried to climb from no hand stance to no hand stance. Right, so right. It ends on this ledge that's like two inches thick. Yep. But the belays that are on the wall previously were oftentimes put in by aid climbers. Yep. And so just the, the way that this pitch was set up is you stop on this no-hand stance and then you set up your portal edge from this existing belay, which is like, you know, three feet across from that no-hand stance. You can right. actually step from the no-hand stance into the portal edge. Um, but that three feet or that where the portal edge sits, it's totally blank face, right. absolutely blank face. And that's the section we couldn't get around, that blank yep. face right where the portal edge sits. So the dyno was one way to do it. You'd climb up 12 feet jump across this blank set this blank section 
And that was the dyno, but I could yep. never do that. So what I figured out is you could actually start on that no hand stance, climb back across the previous pitch, 30 feet, uh, down like a hundred feet across down below and then yep. up like uh, down a hundred feet across and then up a hundred feet and then end within reaching distance of the same portal edge that you right. just left. So right. it's like a 240 foot pitch or something that made you move like of progress. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that yeah. takes a ton of creativity to yeah. figure that out. Like I just have to find a way through here and maybe going right through it isn't the best way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it was just desperation that led to that in that in that moment, I guess. Yeah. But that, you know, a lot of people's desperation would just end in quitting. Yeah. You know, and that your desperation ended in, let's be creative and find a different way. Yeah. You know, I think that's pretty important. Yeah. You know, I think that's a maturity thing more than anything. Like sure, when I was, when sure. I was, when I was 18 years old, there's no way I would have had that kind of patience. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, for sure. That makes good yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely didn't have that kind of patience when I was 18 <laughs> years old. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to talk about as far as belief goes and the Don wall was in 2011, you said that was your final season. Like, mm. I'm doing it. It's done. If I don't do it, I'm over it. And then that season kind of beat you down. Yeah, really uh, beat me down. Let you know who's boss a little bit. Mm. But then you didn't quit. You know, why? Yeah, I mean, it came down to I thought my lifestyle was changing in a way that wasn't going to allow me to go back. I was gonna, uh, had a kid on the way. Right. Um... I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to dedicate this t much of my life towards the Don Wall. And I thought it was an all-consuming project at that point. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, this is it. If I don't do it, I'm, I'm done. And then I didn't do it. Um, but then I think it was my wife more than anything that kind of talked me into going back. Because like the, the idea of leaving it completely was pretty depressing for me. Like I felt right. like I was going to be direct directionless in a way after yeah it was that. a big part of your life yeah and so she saw that in me and she's like i think you should keep trying and she's somebody who is she's like a dabbler in everything she's mm -hmm. very um good at balancing all aspects of life where that's my weakness probably i tend to focus on one thing and like go full bore into that right and so having somebody that's the opposite end of that spectrum is really good for me and she she thought that maybe achieving better balance in life would actually help me. Mm -hmm. And it did in the end. I mean, I think that what I did is I decided I would only focus on the Don Wall for like four months a year instead of 12. Right, right, right. <laughs> After that, I would go, we'd go to Yosemite uh, because we like bringing our kids to Yosemite. We wanted to show yep. them the place the same way that my dad had showed me the place. Yep. And having the Don Wall as an extra incentive to do that was going to just help that whole scene. So she was able to look at him. She's like, yeah, why not? You should just keep trying this. It'll get us to Yosemite. I love Yosemite. And so, yeah, it's like the, it's funny. Like the whole idea of belief is a little bit of a weird thing in my mind because belief in a way comes from not caring about success. <laughs> sure. Yep. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to ask is that yeah. was that year kind of the reset that you needed, like take your mind off of the objective and, by adding all these new things in, this adding in the baby, you know, adding in just this whole new aspect of your life, you had to focus a little more on the process when it was there and less on, I need to do the Don Wall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I floated in and out of that. Like there'd be times yep. where I'd be like, I'm just going to go to Yosemite and I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to climb up on the Don Wall. We'll see if things come together, but then things would start to come together. And then I would be like, we're going to freaking send the thing. And I would get so focused on yeah, like the success yeah. again. But I think it was really important to not always be focused on the yep. success. It, was, it totally. was really important to kind of like float from one sort of attitude towards the road. There's times when it was great to full, to drive full bore ahead. There's, you know, I spent a lot of time up there just partying with friends too. Right, and that was right. really important too. Yeah. Yeah. And so. I think that's important even on like single pitch sport routes. Like there are times when you need to, you need to fucking go, you need to send it, you need to, try really fucking hard and then there are times when you know it's more fun just to hang out at the base or take it a bolt and laugh with your friends or yeah. whatever it is yeah it's funny sport climbers uh sport climbing is an incredibly mental game right for sure and um i mean i haven't i can't even count how many times i've heard this story where somebody was so focused on a project they were driving so hard and then 
they sent it because they kind of gave up. Yeah. <laughs> I, for a long time, I wanted to like disprove that. Yeah. <laughs> and then every time I would like somehow get beat down on a project and then I would be like, I'm just going to go climb on it. I don't, I'm over it. I don't care. I would send and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like I'm, I'm yeah, trying to relax. disprove this yeah. Chris Sharma attitude. And, yeah, it works. But it, it works every time. <laughs> every time yeah something about being freed from the yeah. mental anguish is you know some people just naturally have that like chris sharma he's just yep. always kind of freed or mostly kind of yeah yeah <laughs> um i'm not like that um so yeah yeah you tend to focus in on it and yeah a little bit too much yeah. yeah do you think kevin helped take you out of that in the end or was he the same way um kevin <clears throat> I mean, I think Kevin went through a similar process. He actually wanted to give up a lot more than I did, and mm -hmm. I would kind of talk him into coming back, or right. I would push him on. I think for Kevin, it was kind of interesting because I loved being up there, right? I I had this idea that we might do it in the end, um, which at sometimes I tried to focus on, and sometimes I wouldn't. Kevin was very different. I feel like he wanted to learn, right. um, but I also feel like in some ways he didn't really care that much whether we did it um right right because for him he saw it as like i'm learning while i'm here and this is good for my career he 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 he, he saw the don wall as like a business opportunity sure which was very different than me like we clashed a little bit in that way i yep. was like this was about the heart for me you know i come i'm kind of old school in that way you can't turn climbing into a business for him it, yep. he's just like why not you know this is great this is like Dude, this is this is doing the things that my sponsors want for me just by being here, even if we don't send it. And so I think that's why he came back over and over again. Yeah. Ultimately, did you adopt any of his thoughts? And do you think he adopted any of yours yeah. with it? Yeah. Yeah. It was strange. I mean, I think the partnership with Kevin was really, really crazy um, because we came at it from such different directions. Like all of my climbing partners of the past, I'm like super close to you know right. they're like the people that i go to for like relationship advice or um you know you like bond and climbing with kevin he was like a colleague we actually yeah. never became super close friends throughout the whole thing yeah um, you mentioned several times in the book that you were still kind of that there were times when you would look for that like hope that that was what was about to happen yeah because that's what was built within me i was like god is there something wrong with me like should we not be climbing together because we don't hang out together and drink beers afterwards right, like right. i would i would invite him to come hang out and he would always turn me down and i would be like hurt by that almost sure um but i think in the end actually it was probably really kind of a like the relationship worked quite well in terms because our roles were so defined and he brought things that i just totally went i definitely adopted a lot of things from kevin um like his very scientific approach like move by move <laughs> He's yep. such a scientist. He's got this like photographic memory. Um, and then in terms of like the career aspects, after a while, I was like, ah, he's kind of right. Like we're just here. Like why why just keep this experience to ourselves? He's the one that introduced social media to the right, whole thing. Right, right. Which is how I got to watch a live stream of yeah, it at the which, end there. Yeah, that just was so weird for me at first. <laughs> the New York Times ran a huge piece about that when yeah. we, the first year that he did that. Yeah. Um, like it should this be something that's in the mountains? It should be in the mountains or not? And I was more like it shouldn't be in the mountains at that time. But yeah. then I'd come down and I'd meet people like you who are, who are super psyched to watch it. And I was yeah. like, God, maybe, maybe by just keeping this experience to us, maybe that's actually more selfish. Yeah. And yeah. So huh. in the end, I I totally got on board. I started doing my Instagram updates, and that's why it blew up in the media in the end, which has changed my life. You know, it's yeah. changed my life in a lot of ways for better and for worse. Yeah, and think. then you threw your phone off the wall and told everyone <laughs> you dropped it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still usually <laughs> conflicted about it, but, uh, um, it did, but I mean, honestly, I think the, one of the reasons that I was able to keep going back year after year after year is because financially it did make sense. And that wouldn't have happened without Kevin's view of the Sure. Thing. Sure. Yeah. I hadn't really thought of that, but that's a, that's an important piece to it for sure. Yeah. Like, like it was, I, I could kind of pull this guy around. I'm just, I have to go to work. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is my yeah. job. Yeah. This and is, this is my so, job, honey. Yeah. The climbing's kind of a selfish thing. Like inherently it is, you know, we have our, we have our projects that we're focused on and our friends are focused on their own projects. And so climbing becomes this inherently selfish thing, but you know, and I've talked to your friend Justin Shong on the podcast, and when I when I said climbing is selfish, he got really offended, and 
you know, kind of wanted to argue about it. And, and we did, and it was a great conversation. And, and I agree that it shouldn't be so selfish, that partnership is a really, really big part of it. Yeah. Where do you think that first came up in your life? Like, where did that partnership within climbing come from? Because I feel like so many young climbers coming up right now, it stays really selfish for them for a long time. Yeah. I mean, probably from my dad more than anything. I mean, everything I got in climbing was from my dad. Yeah. And he was um, so dedicated to... I mean, when I was young, he took me climbing because he wanted to go climbing. Sure. Um, so yep. it was kind of selfish. Yep. But at some point, it became way, way more... Like, once I got old enough that we could really be partners in climbing, um, he he gave so much to me to help me go climbing. Yeah. And even that could be considered selfish. Because you, like, think about that. You're like, okay, so is he helping me? Because, you know, I think you, you your ego has played out through your children a little yep. bit. Yeah, yeah. I think it was that way for my dad. But even in that, like, he gave his life to helping me be a better climber. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which was selfish in some ways, but selfless in others. So there's the combination of those two things. Yeah. Um, Did he have regular partners when you were really young? He did when I was really young. Um, he's funny. He's, he's such a teacher. He's been a middle school. He was a middle school teacher for 24 years that he would find people. He would mentor them. And then when they got to a point where they kind of went off there on their own, he would stop climbing with them for the really? most part. Yeah. He's still like that. He still climbs with like middle school students, even though he's 67 years right. old. Right. Um, still doing it. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. He loves to just teach people about climbing and show them this world. Um, which I've have that in me now. I think that's one of, I'm, I think one of my favorite parts about the partnership with Kevin is that I was mentoring him. I was taking this thing that I knew so much about and passing yep. it on. And I love that. I think I got that mentality from my dad. Yeah. How do you, how do you choose a partner? What do you look for in a partner? Is it something you need to go out and climb with them and, determine if you guys should climb together more or is it a friendship first um you know i think it's not necessarily a friendship first i think for me it usually just starts with somebody else that is that is well they can start there could be there can be two two ways to do it okay um and the way that doesn't work is good but this is what happened on the dawn wall is that you find something you really want to climb and then you find somebody else that is just keen on doing that thing as well yep and so it, it kind of puts the climb above the partnership mm-hmm. that's what happened on the dawn wall the way that i enjoy the most though and that i think i will always look for moving forward is i find the partner the friend and then we find the climb that we want to do together so that means right. that the partnership is above the climb and if that's the case, it's just always going to be a way um, more fulfilling experience in terms of what I want because I'm carry because now you know it's taken me a lot of years to get here, but now I care way more about the experience than the than the actual like check mark in the box mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, so that's like my my climbs I do with Alex or Al Honold are way more that way. We're just like, dude, let's we love climbing together. This is so amazing. We get together, right. we should go do something. And what that means is when we go out, no matter what it is, if we fail, if we succeed, if we're total, if it's absolutely miserable, we always come back like having gotten so much out of the experience. Yeah, when it when it's something like Alex and you guys did the Fitz Traverse was and you were kind of the mentor in that role as well. You know, you guys are friends, but you were definitely the the more experienced in that realm. Right, yeah, a little bit. Is it always that way, or is there a give and take? Are there, I mean, I guess it's going to be tough because you're probably the most well-rounded climber on the planet, but are there times when you feel like someone else you're climbing with is the mentor in a certain situation? Yeah, I mean, usually that? when I go out with Alex, that's that's how it goes. Actually, usually it's he has some 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 climb he wants to do, or we or or we have something that I mean, he 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 has like these giant lists of like I want to do this climb, I want to do this climb, right, I want right. to do this climb, and so sometimes we're like we want to get together and climb, so we'll like basically pull up that list and be like, which one of these should we do together? Yeah, and since it's his list. It's like, we won't actually pull it up, but, you know, this is sure, kind of Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, since it's his list, he will take the lead. And then in terms of moving over giant swaths of 
technical hard granite <laughs> yeah. super fast he's the master right and so i always feel like i'm kind of drafting you know i'm kind of flapping in the breeze at the yeah. bottom end of the yeah. rope below him which is amazing i mean it's great to be able to do that i think i love that um in some ways yeah probably equally as much as being the leader yeah um with alex that's it's cool. nice because it can kind of swap either way like if we're in a more alpine environment maybe i'll take the lead a little bit like on the fitch traverse but when we climbed you know three roots the, the three major faces in yosemite in a day he took the lead on that right right i think that's cool yeah. that you you're able to have that give and take with yeah. alex yeah you know i hadn't really until i was asking you the question i hadn't really thought about is there a situation where tommy caldwell can be mentored yeah when you're out climbing but yeah with alex it's definitely that way totally makes sense that that would be a good partner for you yeah and these days i'm i feel like i'm mentored when i go out um like with young strong boulders yeah totally (laughs) sport climbers like i learned so much from them and so i'm really i'm you know i'm soaking up the knowledge way more than i'm doling it out in that environment yeah that's cool to hear i think that's really important for people to hear too because it's really easy to let your ego get in the way and and not learn from the people that you're around. Yeah. You know? But there's more often times than not, there's something to learn in that situation. So yeah. You know, if you're still going out there with these young boulders learning, then you know, everyone can for sure. Yeah, I mean, probably one of the major pieces of the puzzle that came together in the end before the Donwall is that I did a trip with Alex Magos. Right. He's like 22 years old. Yeah. You know, he's like 22 years old. He's phenomenal. years old. And he was like raised like a future <clears throat> Olympian. You yeah. Know, he like trains indoors primarily with like yoga balls and on handboards and stopwatches. <laughs> yeah. And I'd never done any of that stuff really. Right. And, and so I was like, maybe I should try this. Um, Jonathan Segrist, he is such a scientist. And when it comes to training that when I'm with him, I feel like I'm learning tons. He's got the nutrition worked out and he knows about all the science. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the best situation is when you can be both a mentor and, uh, a mentor and you can be the, you you can be the teacher and the student at the same time in different realms. Yeah. So something that made me really want to talk about partnership today was, and everyone witnessed it was that you kind of hung back and waited for Kevin. And the Don Wall was your dream. It was your baby, you know, a, a giant baby, but it was your baby. And, and you didn't have to do that. You know, do you think that that waiting, holding back and waiting for Kevin and supporting Kevin, do you think that came from your mom's sensitivity or your dad's adventure ethic or where did that, come from that you didn't just blast to the top yeah that's an interesting question i don't know where it came. i think at the time i was thinking that it came more from like this sort of moral standard of right. climbing partnership yep um just simply blasting to the top would have felt quite douchey <laughs> yeah well tell i mean tell me about that moral standard because yeah. i think a lot of sport climbers and boulders don't necessarily understand that moral standard yeah um i think it probably comes from the fact that i'm kind of an old man in climbing and that's (laughs) yeah (laughs) these days and that's how it used to be (laughs) way more when you go out into big mountains i mean i think i'm i'm lucky enough to be in a place where i i really understand the ethics of the old school and like when you go into the mountains and the brotherhood of that i'm also able to understand the new school and combining all those is kind of like my sweet spot. Yeah. And I have to find the moral standard that applies to all those. Or I don't know, I guess in maybe the new school that has much less of a moral standard generally, mm-hmm. like you talk about the boulders and the sport climbers, they're not going to um, really compromise their own objectives for their partners for the most part, simply because right. they don't have to. <laughs> right, yeah, in most <laughs> cases you don't have to. Yeah. But on the Donwall, we did. So it was more like a big mountain, uh, you know, objective. It was it was like going on an expedition with somebody, and you don't leave your you don't leave your buddy stranded in, up on the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Are there are there things you think that sport climbers and boulders or this new school wave of climbers could learn from that old school ethic or that you know alpine ethic? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of sending the gnar on the sport crag and the boulders, it's probably best to be as selfish as possible in terms yep. of, like, if that's going to make you send the gnar. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but if you want the life experience that's going to be meaningful and lasting, it's gonna yeah. you're going to have to adopt some of the old school moral standards a bit. Yeah. Um, and I think that the people who 
who think of partnership first are the ones that tend to be the lifers. You know, they're the ones that are out there forever. They're, they're going to be the guys that are like 80 years old sitting in the coffee shop with their old climbing buddies yep. like talking about the good old days and they're still going to be um, gaining from those experiences yep. you know, their entire life. Yeah, and still stoked to go climbing even when they're, yeah. they don't climb as well as they did 20 years ago, but yeah. we still love this shit. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> You wrote something in the book that that I thought was pretty cool, and it was about pitch twenty one, which was the final hard pitch, right? Like the last five thirteen pitch, or yeah. And then from there, it was pretty much you could guarantee that you could go to the top in a pretty quick push. Yeah, yeah, barring something very bad happening. Right. So you were kind of shoring up your chances and making sure that you could get it done if Kevin wasn't able to pull through on pitch 15 or whatever that pitch yeah, was that he had so much trouble on. Yeah. And you, you finished that pitch and well, even before you finished it, you wrote that you knew it was almost as important that you didn't put any more pressure on Kevin that you do that pitch. Like you're, you're placing equal importance on getting this last, this doorway pitch done to I can't put any more pressure on Kevin because he's got enough on himself. Yeah. You know, that in that moment especially when it's like I have this one last hard pitch to do and then I could blast to the top whenever I would need to. It seems like such a an immensely selfless act to say but I don't want to put any more pressure on Kevin. Why do you think you even thought of that in that moment? I mean, I think I, I'd been feeling a bit guilty for the last you know, four or five days when I was sort of blasting ahead of him in some ways. And so, gotcha. like, sort of the pressure had been building. Like, it, you know, each pitch that I do, you could see the pressure building on Kevin. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And then I think immediately once I got to Wino Tower at the pitch of top 20, the, the route was basically done for me, like, my immediate reaction was like, my battle's done with, basically. I yeah. need to I need to go for the team. So I think in life you need to you need to figure out the times where you have to focus on yourself and then you need to figure out the times where you need to focus on the team. And so there's just you know, getting good at identifying those switches in moments is really important. Yeah. Um Yeah, and it, you write in the book that when you did get to Wino Tower, which that's what you said is the finish of pitch twenty one, right? Yeah. You got to the Wino Tower and you were around the corner from Kevin. Yep. And you sat there and composed yourself because you didn't really want to celebrate. You didn't want to, again, put more pressure on him. Yeah. And then you were right back into that, I'm going to go support Kevin. Mode. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to, like, by the time I got back to the portal edge down at the base of Pitch 21, I tried to get myself mentally to a place where I was when I left. Like, oh, we're just, we're still climbing on this thing. Like, nothing has changed. Wow. <laughs> you that's know? that's and, so huge, man. Yeah. And in the, in the book, you always, there are all these passages, and I highlighted a bunch of them, but there were so many that I was just like, I'll just talk about it in general, where you talk about being able to feel Kevin's emotions through the rope or you know, knowing his climbing so well or understanding what's going on so well that you knew he was going to fall a few minutes before he fell. Yeah. You know, there was some sort of connection up there. Even if you guys weren't, didn't turn into great friends, there was some undeniable connection that was happening. And you talk about being able to feel it through the rope pretty often. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, is that something that, you were recognizing while you were up there and did that make you feel like you had this duty to support him was it just those ethics of yeah uh, you know i think it was the emotional journey like we were doing that together like when climb when kevin was climbing it was super intense for me almost the same way it was when i was climbing right like, right I'd, right i'd feel the nervousness and i think yeah when i would illustrate it in the book by saying talking about feeling it through the rope um which I guess that's kind of what you'd think about because you're like you're trying to sense rope movement and yeah um, yeah you really want your buddy to to do good um, yeah I mean that yeah that's true I mean there was a very close bond in that way that was not friendship but 
you know, something pretty magical. Did you guys know that, like, the whole, I mean, obviously you knew, but did having the whole world watching you intensify that? Um, I think, I think it intensified it for me supporting Kevin. Yeah. Um, but I think I was basically already Wino Towers by the time the whole world really like yeah. latched onto the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for the most part, I mean, it, it was starting to catch hold maybe a day or two before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was trying to think as little about the rest of the world as possible. Um, but when Kevin, it's got to be hard to block out though. Yeah. Well, it's weird. I always felt like I was in a bubble up on El Cap. Um, cool. That was just like I was just I've been climbing up there for twenty years, and so when sure, I sure. when I go up there, it's like that's my space, and I sort of block out. The yeah, rest you're at home world. up there. Yeah, and I like that. That's, yeah, that's one of the things I love about it. That's that's why, that's why I was so conflicted about the whole social media thing because it would change it changed that a little bit. But yeah. it was still pretty mentally pretty easy easy for me to just think about being in the moment up there. That's why, yeah. that's why I was so happy when my phone when I dropped my phone off the wall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or threw it off, whichever it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Kevin, <clears throat> he always thought about, you know, what everybody, like it was always in the top of his mind about like what everybody else was thinking about right. uh, the climb and people rooting for him or not rooting for him. And so it, that intensified the situation. Like when we had photographers up there, climb, Kevin would climb so much more intense. <laughs> Oh yeah. And so that made me want it more for him because when he wants it badly, that makes your partner really want yeah. it badly too. Yeah. And he would try so hard and that was inspiring. And he 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 tended to rise to the level when all the when everything was on the line in this way that was hugely just like inspiring and incredible. Do you think that was part of why he did it initially? I mean, it pulled the social media in and all of that. Other other than just being a way to make an income out of going climbing. Do you think he knew that that having that intensity, those eyes on him would make him perform better? Probably. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I love that point. Actually, I feel like that probably pegs him. um, Yeah, really well. It was funny. We climbed on the Donwell for about eight months when he first joined the project, just the two of us. Yeah. And he would always top rope and he was kind of scared. And then, and then our buddy Tim Camp- Kempel came up to yep. take pictures yeah, no, for Tim. Black Diamond. Yeah. And suddenly Kevin was like being super bold <laughs> on lead. And I Turned was like, on all oh of a sudden God, for the cameras. Sudden, he, he went from being like this very, like this fawn on ice to being a total badass. Right. And so that was probably a powerful enough experience that for the rest of the time, he's like, this just helps me. Yeah. Bring if on I'm the cameras. Gonna, yeah. If I'm going to get this done, I need this. I need the Kodak courage. Yeah. Yeah. Which is easy to judge, but maybe it's not such a bad thing. You know? Yeah, you know, I, uh, my fiance always tells me that when I'm when we're bouldering and I'm struggling on something, but then a group of people walks up, she knows I'm gonna send because I just like to perform. I like to be in front of people, and <laughs> you know, I flip yeah. a switch and I'm able to turn it on. So, yeah. so I know those are my moments. Like yeah. some people don't like the crowd and they shy away and they perform better that way. Yeah, I know when the crowd comes up, that's when I should get on. Yeah, you know, and I, I maybe Kevin knew the same thing going into it. So. Yeah. It's funny. I really, I really aspire to find the flow state, which in my mind means blocking everything out. So yep. I think I tend to not like the crowd that much. Um, when everything is like at its optimum, like when you're achieving that flow state, which is really rare for me. But I'd like the crowd too. Sometimes, like uh, it's funny when I'm bouldering in my woody at home, and I like have a probably get these projects that I work on for weeks just on yep. my little woody at home. Yep, totally. I'm, if I'm getting close, I'm like I'm not quite do it. Sometimes I go get my wife, and I'm like, just come hang yeah. with me. I need like the girl power. You know? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. And I think the flow state's something interesting, right? Because you know, in the moments that I've entered it. There's almost always a crowd around, but I don't, I don't hear them. I don't notice them. Mm-hmm. Or I can like pick out my daughter's voice or I can pick out my fiance's voice. And then, and then when I get to the top, it's that moment like, or, or when I get past whatever I needed that state for, it's like all the sound floods back in and all of a sudden I can hear everyone and I'm like, whoa, where were all those people a second ago? Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I've experienced that, although I think... Probably my most powerful moments in the mountains are, uh, well, some of my, many of my most powerful moments are when I am all alone. Yeah. And I guess I'm just a little bit more of an introvert that way. Yeah. I'm like too self-conscious around other people. 
Yeah. Do you think sometimes blocks flow? Just out of curiosity, I know Alex is somewhat introverted. I mean, he's an introverted guy, but obviously there's a lot of cameras around uh, for a lot of these things. Are you and Alex able to like get into your own bubble regardless of the cameras when you guys are out climbing? You know, we haven't climbed around cameras that much, honestly. Okay, we climbed so just on a couple things we've seen the films for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, the cameras will be there on the top. Um, or we made this, it's funny, there, there was this, this film project that I was involved in. It's my greatest film. Like, my, like, I love this film. Out of all the film projects I've been involved in, the line across the sky is kind of my favorite. Yeah. And I think it came you out. You guys so, filmed that. Yeah, right? it came out so good because we didn't think we were making a film. Right, right. Uh, we had a camera. Our, you know, our buddy told us to bring a camera and shoot footage, so we were doing it sort of begrud- begrud- begrudgingly. Yeah. And but we only pulled out the camera occasionally, and we just kind of were goofing off with it. We're like, "There's no way they're gonna make anything out of this." Anyways, yeah. we're probably not even gonna succeed. So we're just being goofy and being totally ourselves. Yeah. And I think that was the magic behind that film is not. I think you're understanding right. that we were making a film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so it made it so that we were just talking like we normally do. We weren't speaking to the audience, to the greater audience audience at all right right yeah i think that's pretty big i hadn't really thought of it like that because that's what i liked about it was how candid it was and the honesty in it and knowing that you didn't even know you were really making a film that wasn't your intention yeah that makes total sense yeah yeah that's pretty cool so what's your climbing looking like these days as far as you know are you are you finding enough to fill you up like the dawn wall did i mean did that leave a void uh i I feel like in climbing i'm floundering a little bit because i realize i just have too much on the plate to focus as intensely on climbing as i used to um that's because i was writing the book which i just finished like i've honestly i i wrote the book um and then i did the tour and that ended like a week ago (laughs) yeah 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 so i'm fresh off fresh off the tour this is the first yeah this this week right now i'm for the first time i'm like wow this is the first time in over a decade where I don't have some super crazy project that I'm sort of leading up to. Yeah. And then this podcaster guy's like, hey, <laughs> on your on your break. <laughs> you know, the, no, this it's nice actually. For the moment it's nice. I know that I really want those projects to focus in on. Like I like I yeah. like the life that that formats a lot. But I think I'm realizing that I need a break from that right now. And um and I and, I, and sometimes that focus um, comes at the expense of other things in life, like being a good dad. <laughs> sure, <laughs> so I sure. Think that's more what I'm trying to focus on right now, being a good yeah. husband. Yeah, I think that's smart. And I think, you know, it seems like from reading your book and from talking to you now that Becca's going to keep you on that path regardless. Yeah. You know, I think that's important to have, like a, the yin to the yang. You're this super focused person and she she's well-rounded and you know can keep it all keep all the balls in the air at the same time and yeah you know that's super important to have so you're a lucky dude for sure yeah that's for sure yeah Yeah. cool man well i appreciate you coming over and sitting down with me and even though you just came off this crazy tour and oh no problem getting your life back no this is this is nice this is mellow we're just hanging out in your backyard chatting so yeah i appreciate it dude thank you yeah no problem yeah pleasure Now, if you haven't already, you should check out Tommy's book, The Push. Watch the film about the groundbreaking ascent of the Dawn Wall. In the years since they topped out, Tommy has proven again that he's dedicated to this community. He's become one of the leading voices against climate change and for responsible use of public lands, spending considerable time lobbying, talking with politicians, and using his platform to educate us, the community. In my opinion, these are some of the things that elevates a great athlete into a great community leader. The desire to help, to use your voice for good, and the willingness to be patient when everyone else just needs to catch up. You can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com where we have thousands of articles, training plans, courses, and products that can help you become a better climber. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Power Company Climbing. But you won't find us on Twitter because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles.